Hey listeners, welcome back to Who Knew We Didn't. My name is Megan and my partner in podcast here is Marta. Hey. Hey. And once again, we are uh, joined by our uh, wonderful guest here, Fatty Bashara, and uh, talking more about autism and uh, ASD and uh, continuing on from our most recent episode. Uh, so more, more of that, more of an interview. Um, so we're going to start off, like I say, just sort of extending what we were talking about uh, last time and moving further into what it is to um, what it's like to be a child with autism, um, how how the services of our education system uh, support or perhaps hinder children with autism. So um, to get started, let's talk a little generally at first. Um, how would you describe what the world is like for a child with autism? Like what is it the what are the challenges that they face? So a lot of the times uh, kids with autism will have a hard time just socializing with others. And uh, specifically in schools, it could be really difficult being around a lot of kids. Uh, and being in that environment for them can can cause a lot of other behaviors that you see. And at times, teachers and EAs and others that are in the school environment may not understand why that is happening. And being able to support them is really important. And knowing to pick up on those cues, like, okay, he's having a little bit of a hard time now. Let's give him that extra support. So that's a challenge that... I see a lot of the times that they face, and sometimes they don't know how to communicate that to us. They don't know how to tell us, hey, I'm having a really hard time right now. I don't know what to do. Like, for example, I, if, I'm, if I'm struggling with, like when I was in elementary, if I'm struggling with my math, I, I'm gonna go to my teacher and be like, hey, I do not understand this. But he might not do that, or like the kid with autism might not do that. And these, you might start seeing other behaviors come up, but all they're trying to do is tell you what they're feeling and they just don't know how. And that's something that I really like, like to work on, giving them functional communication that they can use on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, the other thing is just a lot of sen like sensory concerns that we might not really feel on a day-to-day -day basis. Like uh, they might feel that. So that's a challenge that they can feel at schools. And there's a lot of things that we can do that not a lot of people know, and a lot of things that I don't know that an OT, like an occupational therapist, might be really uh, able to help with. Uh, but yeah, these are some of the challenges that they'll face on a day-to-day -day basis. So the lack of, like the communication aspect, the social, being around so many people can be really hard. And I know that's not just for kids with autism or adults with autism, it's for a lot of people. I have, I have friends who have a hard time when they're around uh, you know, a, a big group of individuals. And imagine being in, in a classroom and just kind of looking around like, oh my God, there's a lot of people here. And that could be really hard. And it could be any kid in that class. And being able to support them and giving them that extra help is really important. And I, I really, uh, teachers should be trained to kind of pick up on these, uh, on these uh, cues for the children. So what about like, do the children that have autism, do they know that they're different? Like, do they realize that they are different from the other kids around them? Because I'm just thinking about, like, all the other layers of social interactions. Like, even people without recognizable disabilities have social anxiety or yeah. have, like, trouble adjusting to being in school and that sort of thing. So, like, I wonder how that layers on with children living with autism and just all of the other things, like, other than just having autism, like, See, that's social a really good anxiety. question. I Yes, that's the thing. I, we don't we don't live with autism, so I don't really know. Some kids will know. I actually had a very interesting uh, situation where I was uh, I was talking to this little little kid, and I was telling him I can't remember what I was telling him, but he looked back at me. He's like, "Fatty, I'm in IBI. I'm in intensive behavior intervention." And he knew what he was at. So a lot of kids they'll know like they'll know that they're in therapy, and some kids their parents want to tell them that they're in class, you know, they're getting tutored. So some kids may know, some kids don't. Uh, a lot of kids will kind of ask questions and uh, some kids will, you know, get bullied for, for all these things. And they may, you know, we live in the age of the internet. So a lot of these kids may know how to use the internet and might search, why am I feeling this way? So depending on the situation, some kids do know that they're different. Some kids may not even realize that there is a little bit of a difference because some kids may not be exposed to that environment anyways. They may be in IBI for 40 hours a week. They've never been to school. So all they know is, 
you know, other kids with autism. Some kids may be in, you know, the, like the special education classrooms, and they have never really picked up that other kids are doing other things, while others are in the general education program, and they're in a classroom filled with other kids. And that's where, you know, those challenges, and those kids are a little bit, uh, you know, higher, have a little bit of higher skills, so that they can do that, and uh, they may be able to kind of pick up on those things and know. Yeah, we that's it. So that's that's interesting that like there's a, again a spectrum. So there are some children that will notice, some children that won't, yeah. and that just because they're in um, like a regular education classroom doesn't mean that they are feeling the negative effects from because kids are mean, yeah, right? Kids, and like kids, kids yeah, kids have no filter, so they're like, "What's wrong with you? Like, why are you different?" or yeah. whatever. So, I think that it's both a good thing and a bad thing that we're trying to blend children with disabilities into our education systems. It's a good thing because like um, children without developmental disabilities are like learning how to act around these kids. Like it's becoming more normalized and yes, which I, I love. Yeah. I love, I love how there's a, an awareness yeah. and an understanding of what autism really is now because it's being secluded and kind of, you know, treated differently is not fun. So I always like to tell parents, treat your kid with autism the same as you treat your other kid who doesn't have autism. Mm -hmm. It's the exact same thing. The more you, you know, uh, behave a little bit differently around them or, you know, you give them special treatment, the worse things will get. And imagine being that one kid who always gets, you know, treated differently everywhere they go. That's not fun. It's not okay. You're not going to feel very good about yourself the more that happens. So treat everyone the same. It doesn't matter. Like I, I was diagnosed with ADHD. Same. <laughs> okay. So see, so me being diagnosed with ADHD, and, and I'm sure you went through the exact same thing, you were treated a little bit differently. They'll send you to another classroom so you can get extra support, which is all, you know, all great. But uh, knowing that you have all these things and other kids be like, oh, fatty's going to that classroom again. He doesn't know things. And they start picking on you. That's not fun. That's not okay. And being, you know, understanding that kids learn differently and understand differently and, uh, you know, need different support is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. We should be able to appreciate that and give everyone the support that they need. And one of the problems that I see is uh, we give very special treatment to, you know, the kids that don't need help and forget about the kids that do need help and kind of just shun them aside. Uh, there's so many better ways to do that and take care of them uh, because some of some individuals might actually be brilliant and you just don't know because you put them aside and you let them, you know, kind of just... You're never going to make it. Okay, go here. Just get by. Finish what you have to do so that you can just pass and, you know, go and do nothing with your life. And that's not good. Let's spend the extra time to help them because every single person is capable if they are motivated. So for me, uh, when I grew up, uh, I, was, I couldn't do anything in school because I was told you can't. However, as a kid with ADHD, so I have a learning disability, right? Uh, I shouldn't be able to sit down and know everything about everything in wrestling. So I, I love wrestling, but I would sit there and I would read books on books and books and know everything. And I'm in, like an encyclopedia of wrestling. But when it comes to math and science, I knew nothing. And why is that? Because I wasn't motivated. I didn't care, but I cared about other things. So technically speaking, I shouldn't know anything about wrestling. I shouldn't have that vast knowledge and be able to sit down and focus and you know attend to all these things. However, was I misdiagnosed? Was I just not motivated? Was I not interested? Were you misdiagnosed? Like, it's, it's a whole problem in the school system that we kind of leave everyone to... Uh, fall into this line or fall to the side. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's sad. And there's, so, there's such better ways to do it. Yeah, and there's, uh, there's many studies, like, there's actual empirical findings to support that the kids that are better socialized will get a better quality education. So that's why girls go a lot further in school because uh, they act in a way that's more socially acceptable versus boys are more rambunctious and more disruptive and whatever. And so they're not getting as much attention from the teachers or the type of attention they get is different. And like teachers have different expectations for girls versus they do for boys. And like, that's actually seen empirically in the kind of test results that they're getting and how far yeah. they progress in school. And so I can only imagine that this effect is tenfold with children with any sort of disability or you developmental know. delay, anything, yeah. right? We, we see that with, we, we see that with all kids and it, you're right. Like, yes, we, we do give special treatment to some people, some like girls and kids who are just 
brilliant and geniuses and it's it's seen in an obvious way but you never know what another kid might be great at until you actually give them that opportunity and that's the problem that i see a lot of the times and it's not really their fault uh, it's not the teacher's fault it's it's act what it is the classrooms are so big do you really have time as a teacher one person with a let's say a 20 you know 20 kid classroom do you have that time to go in and work with every single one yeah we have one on one like there's you don't you don't have that time but the problem is there's uh, there's so many teachers right now that don't have jobs, yet there's so many kids that don't get the support. So why do we not have the funds? We're a very, like, we're a well-off country. We have money. Why don't we increase the funds for school, which is the most important thing, and get more teachers, give different kinds of classrooms. They don't have to be smaller classrooms, but, you know, they're there, you know, qualified individuals to teach the kids that need the support. There's so many things we can do. There's assessments. Why not have another teacher in the classroom? Two teachers, you know, one for assessments, one to constantly assess what these kids like. How can we make it? Because one teacher is just not enough. Just to backpedal a little bit, can you tell me about what Canada already offers in schools and how that might differ, it differ if any, if at all, like if you know anything about like the US system or whatever, like what does Canada already do for children with autism specifically in schools? So the US has a philosophy that uh, we should always give the children, you know, the best option, like the, we need to take care of them essentially, uh, give them the best treatment options. If they need this, we always need to give it to them. Uh, so that's one thing that the, the U.S. does. In Canada, we have a lot of really good things. So, for example, for autism, we have an Ontario, the Ontario Autism Program, the OAP, which is excellent. We give them funding. It, there is a huge wait list, which is understandable because it's a lot of money going out, but there is that support, uh, which is great. But in schools, what ends up happening is there is no training for the teachers. So in 2007, it was mandated that ABA is mandatory in all uh, schools. Can you remind us what ABA stands for? Yeah, so Applied Behavior Analysis, which is the, uh, like according to studies, the most effective way to help kids with autism. Uh, it was mandated in schools uh, for all EAs and individuals working with, uh, you know, kids with autism uh, to have. However, it was not until last year that the first pilot program to train them, and not in all schools, in a few hand-picked schools, to train them was that done. And that's not okay. We took... Uh, 2007. We're so it's two 10 years. 10 years before they actually mandated a, like a, a training, which is not okay. I don't understand how you can go 10 years neglecting. It was mandated. So this was by the ministry. We need to do this. And it took you 10 years to really think of a way to do this. Does it take 10 years to do a training program? Uh, to do a training program? It doesn't. ABA is ABA. I mean, if I'm designing it, then yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. So if you're going to do a pilot, you want to you perfect it, right? And that's what I'm getting from you. Great. But you perfect it by doing. Yeah. You try it out and you see. There's already very well-established training programs. Why not use one of them, test it out, and see how it is? You could have done that the first year. Why did it take you 10 years? And that's the issue. Now, having those extra classrooms is great, you know, so that individuals with autism who are in the general education program can go to is excellent. However, are they actually getting the support that they need? I would argue that they're really not because they're not trained to do that. And I'm not saying that these special education teachers aren't good. They're just not trained in what's effective for kids with autism. They might be trained what's effective for other developmental delays, but what about the kids with autism? Right now we have such a high rate of kids with autism, so shouldn't that be something that we make sure that they're very skilled at? That's that that's my concern. That's that's the issue right mm -hmm. now. So then tell us more about the supports that are provided in schools um are there like we we've been talking a little bit about eas and training like um how what is there uh for for kids with autism you mean like what is what is provided right now yeah yeah so right now in ontario uh we have the ontario autism program like i mentioned a second ago so what that is uh, it's funding and a bcba or a psychologist needs to come up with a budget uh and you can get like there's no limit on the budget According to the OAP, uh, there's some things that you can access. So ABA is what you can access, IBI specifically. Uh, so you can have therapy for as many hours as the uh, clinician recommends. And you can get extra uh, support from other you know, professionals on a consult basis. 
Is this is this in schools or no? So this this is this is beyond school. So this is outside of the school system. We have that option. So one of the things that I see is schools won't actually allow the therapist to come and work at the school. So you'll have a little bit of a hard time, and I get that. It's really hard to you know let an outsider come in and work with the kids because there's a you know some uh, there's other kids there, Mm -hmm. right? You don't know who Mm -hmm. that person is. You didn't go through the screening, and that's fair. However. Uh, if they've been approved by the ministry to provide this therapy, because there is some strict guidelines that, you know, say who is allowed to work with our kids, right? So a BCBA must be the one who writes the the plan. And the BCBA must have specific qualifications as well. So not just, uh, you know, his BCBA, but he ne- he or she need to have uh, a specific amount of hours, liability insurance. They need to have a vol- like a vulnerable sector check. Uh, they... There's some, a lot of things that need to be done. So they are qualified. They are skilled. They're, you know, they have all the things that are needed, yet they're not allowed in the schools to help the kids. So the school's not getting that. So a lot of the kids, what ends up happening is they get pulled out of school and do the therapy, which is not a bad thing. They may need that. And we'll continue to do assessments on a regular basis. So typically our assessment will be every six months to, uh, and some kids will be less. Uh, it might change. They might grow. Like they might progress so fast that I might need to do another assessment, but will assess their skills, we'll be able to do that. But schools don't have the time to do that, like to constantly assess, to make sure that the child is growing. We assess on a regular basis other things. We assess their preference, their their motivation level, their uh, anything that we know they like so that we can motivate them and uh, build their skills based on what they like. So school systems, you know, they don't have that time. They don't have the resources available for them. There's one or two behavior therapists for the entire, you know, region. Yeah, for the whole school. For the whole region, oh. not just school. The school doesn't have a behavior therapist on staff. The region does. Meg and I are, are both aga- aghast. How do you pronounce that word? Like, we're both just like our eyes popped open. Yeah. Like, that's I wild. totally thought you meant per school. No, no, not per school, per region. So, a like, like Peel might have two, three behavior therapists on wow. staff. And how many kids have developmental like well how many kids are even like all together aside from that that's who might need it who might need that support there is hundreds if not thousands in that thousand might be pushing it but there's a lot of kids that need the support yeah but also like not only autistic children can benefit from behavioral therapy like there are so many children without diagnosis abilities who have maladaptive behaviors or who have maladaptive like coping mechanisms or whatever. Like there are children who aren't suffering from anything that's diagnosable in the DSM who need help, need support, need support a hundred percent. I completely agree. And that's the problem right now. We don't have the funds for it, but there really is the funds. It's there. So then what should it look like? Like, what should the school look like? Should there be, like, should the teachers learn to do this? Or should there be um, more behavioral and anal- BAs? And, yeah, behavior analysts, behavior therapists. You call it whatever you, you, you would. But um, there's some things that I, I have in mind that I would like to do, but it's grueling and it's a lot of work. And it's something that needs to be researched to kind of understand why. Our kids are worth it. <laughs> yeah, oh, 100%, 100%. They are. So here's what I think. So I'm, I kind of, you know, bring it back to what I uh, went through. So I was, like I said, was really interested in, uh, you know, wrestling. So when I was interested, interested in wrestling, I was very motivated to work and to do anything based on wrestling. So I would take little quizzes online that were wrestling based. And like I would do that and I would focus. But bring me a test about science. I cannot focus on that at all. Why is that? I have ADHD, right? So technically, it's because I can't focus. But what if the point was that we're, that we're missing in the ADHD diagnosis was that they lack interest? So if they are interested, and that could be part of the diagnosis process, what if their interest was the reason they're behaving the way they are and not because of the lack of attention, the lack of focus? So are there many kids who are diagnosed with ADHD that shouldn't be diagnosed with ADHD? Is that the reason? Is that something that could be an issue? Uh, you know, they just lacked interest, so they didn't show that they have that, and they picked up a little bit of, you know, interfering behaviors here and there. They're not focusing because they don't really care. I didn't care. Personally, I, you know, I couldn't care less about math when I was, you know, six, seven years old. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys. Did you? No, I hate math. Okay. I still hate it. Okay. I actually, like, so I had a uh, similar but 
different uh, experience with my ADHD. So like, for example, with the podcast, like I can study or I can research for this podcast for hours on end. Like I get sucked into a hole and that through my research about ADHD is called hyperfocus. And that's a whole thing that we can do. And it's like part of like not being able to control our impulses. So like we, yeah. it, it, uh, like it's something that I'm really interested in. And so I can't stop doing it. But um, with school, for example, I was really motivated by like being teacher's pet and having the teacher love me. So I was like, oh, I'm going to finish everything super fast. Like I'm going to crush everything. So I was, <laughs> I was really good at school because then I was allowed to, when I finished my math test and the teacher graded it and it was perfect, I was allowed to walk around and help all the other kids. And so like I was walking around and like interacting with kids and that's how like I like that idea though. Yeah. Letting you be the little you know, the, the teacher's helper. Yeah. The yeah. little teacher helper, the, the mediator, the, the tutor for everyone, because you're the best at what you do. Right. So they're making you motivated. Yeah. And one of my teachers was really enlightened in like letting me do that. And so I learned that in one of the classes. And then in every class I had after that, I sought that out personally. So we need, I think like our curriculum, what hasn't changed in 150 years or something insane. Like it's, we need things. It's not that there's anything wrong with these children. They're just different. Yeah, right? everyone's like, different. If you could have been rewarded with like wrestling stuff, it, like if the teacher was like, "Oh, I have like a tidbit about like Stone Cold Steve Austin," and I'll go. tell you if you ace this test, like you would ace the test. And then well, what the if, tidbit? What if I give you another another example of something that we can do? But it'll take a lot of assessment, a lot of tools, and a lot of resources for us to do this. So what if our materials? could be changed to meet every single person's preference. So what if we created a, uh, a huge you database? You did wrestling fractions? Yes. A huge database of uh, kind of a fill in the blank. Uh, and it's a book about science. Now, science is very, it's, this is the one that's going to be really hard, right? It's a book of science, but you can fill in the blank and you can have specific things be the outcome that is more on the interest of that individual. You're doing math, you like soccer, great. We're gonna make it, uh, you know, with soccer players, with soccer balls, with whatever you want to learn. And we have to assess that on a regular basis. But the problem with that is that's a lot of work for the teachers. They don't have that time. Uh, it's a lot of research to make sure that it is gonna be effective, it is gonna be good. But why not make everything individualized? So imagine uh, imagine that I'm I'm, I'm the wrestling fan, so now I'm going to get everything wrestling. Why would we not make that? Why would we not benefit from that? I'm so different than you, and you're so different than me, yet everyone's getting the exact same thing that we're, that we're doing. How is that going to work? How are you going to be motivated? Yeah, and uh, there's a podcast that I was listening to, and it has nothing to do with school or education, but it was about like the way we design things. So with i think it was the u.s air force planes used to be designed for one for the average man for the man of average height the man of average weight the man of average like etc but all of the people who didn't fit into the exact center of the average weren't able to fly planes like if oh, you great. had an excellent pilot excellent. who was too tall or too short like you're sh sol so that that's kind of how our school system is like it's structured for the average kid and that's wild like we should we should um cater to the extremes so we should be able to like our teachers or our school system should be able to accommodate children who need completely experiential learning versus children who flourish with uh blended versus children who flourish from just reading and doing and like exploratory math, for example, the curriculum that the PC government is taking away right now, that was an excellent idea. And so I think that we should continue to cater to the, like, the extremes, like cater to the, what is it, like the edges of the limits rather yeah. than to the average. There was a cool study that I read recently that tested out different styles of teaching, uh, direct instruction, personalized system of instructions, and, you know, the typical classroom setting. Uh, and they found that direct instruction, I'll explain what direct instruction is in a second, uh, was actually one of the most effective ways to teach children. Um, so direct instruction is a, uh, it can be done one-to-one. -one. It's typically done in a classroom and it's uh, choral responding by everyone. It is a curriculum kind of going down specific skills and building it as it goes. Um, and the kids have to respond by themselves. Uh, sorry, all together, and then you can get picked to respond, but you're practicing it over and over again, and the curriculum is really well written to the point where the kids are so involved in it and, you know, are capable, and then there's worksheets for what you just learned. So I'll give you an example. So 
Um, there's, there's programs like Language for Learning. So you'll start with uh, teaching the kids, what am I doing? What are you doing? And they have to respond. And, you know, you pick, you point at one kid and you say, you know, the demand or the, like the script and they'll respond. That style worked very well for a lot of kids because now it's inclusive. Everyone's participating. Everyone's getting, like, they have to answer together, which makes it uh, a little bit more powerful because it's a group Anything, anytime you do anything in groups, it tends to be a little bit more successful. Uh, and this is what was the great thing about this, uh, this program. I've used it with a lot of my kids. I've seen a lot of great success. Uh, I've also used it and the kid was just, I hate this. I don't want to do this. And that's fair. So it shouldn't be the only way because I know some people that are like, you know, believe direct instruction should be the one way we do it. It shouldn't be just one way. There's so many different styles and we need to assess and see what our kids need because every kid needs a different thing. So there is some personalized system of instruction. And Mon uh, Montessori's are very personalized system of instructions type of, uh, type of style, which is good. I like that. But not every kid can do well. So some parents think private schools will be better for their kids, but private schools might not actually be the right way to go for your kids. So why not get an assessment to know what kind of things are needed for your kid? Because there were some studies done to show what is the most effective classroom size, and it wasn't a private school size. Private school size was actually not effective. Hmm. But that doesn't mean it won't be effective for your kid. On average, it won't be. Uh, on average, technically, it shouldn't be. However, uh, some kids, when they have a lot of kids there, they don't get much attention. So those kids might be good in the private school. However, a kid who uh, needs a little bit more social support and uh, social reinforcement might do better in a bigger classroom. And that's why kind of understanding our kids and knowing them and assessing, which I'm going to emphasize on because we don't do enough in school because it, it is something that they should be doing in schools, but in teacher training, and I've heard this from many teachers, they don't actually teach them how to assess. They just tell them, assess. Okay, but how am I going to assess? Where's my rubric? <laughs> exactly. So there, there's, there's different ways that you can assess, uh, you know, the, the progress and doing that. And we can develop that and help our teachers, you know, like help the kids in a much more efficient way. We're just not doing that in general. It's all that it kind of comes back to education, that like that's what's lacking in the education of our educators. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's funny, right? Uh, teachers college uh, is great and all, but there's theory is one thing, but practical is another. And the practical part of it, when I know they have to go and be the teacher. Yeah, there's a certain number of hours, yeah. The problem is not all training teachers will actually, you know, care enough to teach you. They're just like, go do your thing. And they won't give you that feedback that you really need. Yeah, well, and I was going to say, like, growing up, I can think of countless um, uh, practicing teachers that came in and they were all very different. Like, some of them would be given the opportunity to run a lesson or others were just, like, there in the back of the classroom to watch or others were not so much in front of the class but definitely not in the back either. They were walking around. They were doing one-on-one -on -one question and answer stuff with kids. And so, yeah, yeah. Well, who should teach... Who, the people who teach are teachers should want to teach teachers. It mm -hmm. shouldn't be just thrown on. And I know they, they get asked, do you want to? But they should actually... There should be a curriculum... There should be a way, things that you need to do. And there is, but those teachers may not know what it is because every school is different that teaches and there is some little tiny differences and they don't really tell them or communicate. And a lot of times that kind of becomes a mess, a messy situation where one teacher expects you to do this and one teacher expects you to do another thing. It is, it is what it is though. So now we kind of have to find ways to help our kids and... It, it took us 10 years to do it for kids with autism to put that. How long do you think this is going to take? Which mm -hmm. is the saddest part. I'm curious to see how this kind of like massive systemic change could be implemented. Because I'm just thinking right now, like I have a few friends who are teachers or have completed. Um, what's it? What's the program? Teacher's college. Teacher's college. <laughs> <laughs> they've completed teacher's college and they already feel like they do, they do a ton of work and they don't get paid enough. And they have these huge classes and sometimes they have huge behavioral issues and whatever. Like they're already under a lot of stress. Our teachers are trying as hard as they can. Then like once you're in the school system, like you don't want to leave because you work so hard to get in there. And yeah. then you end up with teachers who are burnt out, exhausted, hate teaching. Like they clearly just like, Oh, oh yeah. Oh my so, God. So I'm wondering like, 
I don't want to, I don't want to suggest that we put even more on our teachers. Is there a way that we could have like, our teachers are just the like actual, like they're kind of like the trainers they're the presenters, et cetera, but we have the supports behind the scenes. So there's like a whole new department in each school that's like behavioral analysis. So like each teacher in the first week of having their students, like an assessment is done. Yeah. Does an assessment or like at least collects these data points, takes them to the analysis, analysis. And then the, that person is like, Oh, like, or analyst, there we go, analysis, um, takes them to the analyst and that person's like, you know, like this student, these five students group them together and give them these types of things and these seven students group them together and give them these types of things and whatever. Yeah. Like that, I think, would you agree that that's kind of like the way to yeah, do that, it? Yeah, that would be a great way of doing it. There's so many ways and I think I think you're right. There needs to be an added piece. I just don't know we know what it is yet, but we need to try things and test things out. Uh, you know how they're doing the pilot program, like I said about, mm-hmm. like with ABA. Mm-hmm. Why not have a little bit of, you know, some pilot programs in different schools to kind of see what if we added another department? But do we have that kind of money? I think that with our current political climate, that might not be something that could be implemented. But we do need to take a different approach to schooling for sure. Yeah. No. And and the question is, are is our government going to be willing to? Because it is a lot of funds. It is a lot. Is that the right place to put it? Uh, a lot of people would say yes, just because that's the future of our society. Oddly enough, though, you couldn't actually prove that it's worth it without being given a little bit of funding to test it. Yeah, that's the sad part. You got to prove that you need to have more testing done. So you you need people to practice it. You need people to gather the data. You need people to like present the data and analyze the data. Yeah. Which is why I'm kind of excited about Montessori schools, uh, because from the from what I've looked at, Montessori schools are actually quite successful and they actually do produce like children or yeah students who are better adapted or like more able to like creatively problem solve for example because that's something that they like to focus on and like they're more like free form or like more like individualized I guess is the way that I'm thinking of it so that's kind of like a real life experiment going on so maybe before we're able to make changes to our public education system maybe there will be a private yeah maybe there will be a private school that can like try that and then they'll be like look at how successful this was put this into the public schooling system now that that's great so that's something that should be done i, I actually really like that idea now where do we start because that that's good we need to find a way and monster schools have been successful and there's also some things that need to be tweaked in monster schools because not every and it could not just it could be that it's not that the system needs to be tweaked it's just maybe a better uh system to see who should be in this kind of environment who shouldn't because everything we say is different for every single kid and if i owned a montessori school i would say hey listen after my assessment i don't think your son should be here i don't think your daughter should be here they should be in this environment just like i was saying in in the last Mm -hmm. podcast we were talking about if i don't think that this kid is a good fit for my organization then i'm going to tell him hey i think you should go to another place and i know this really good place that might be beneficial for your son and your daughter uh so by by being so a lot of the times private organizations will really care about you know you know the financial gains that they can make out of it and i think by kind of you know stopping that idea and thinking okay we need to help our kids so is that kid going to be a good fit here they're not they shouldn't be here there's another kid who might need it more than you and we're going to fill up that spot with someone who doesn't need to be here they should be in another environment so um that should be a little bit uh we can't really force private organizations to do that, but kind of making that suggestion, recommendation that this system is good for your kid and that system's not good for your kid. Uh, or, you know, give that yeah. and give that more, give more information to parents so they know what is beneficial for this and what is beneficial for that would be good. But that all has to do with research and we need to kind of yeah. figure that out, like you were saying. Yeah, and it's, again, like, schools don't have to be a one-size-fits-all. So it's not, like, one school provides all of these things for all of these kids. Like, you could be select, or, like, as a parent, you can go for interviews to different schools and say, like, oh, my student, my child would fit here, or my child would fit here. Um, another thing that I wanted to touch upon is we've been talking about, like, instructional styles, so, like, what teachers can do to teach the current curriculum, but how do we think that the current curriculum should change? So, like, there's different ways of implementing the curriculum, but should we be teaching our kids different things as well like specifically for autism like should there be behavioral therapy as part of the curriculum or behavioral yeah therapy as part of the curriculum like should there be more like psychology based things in the curriculum like what could benefit kids in general and then autistic children i think i think that 
uh, behavior therapy would be good in schools for classroom management uh, to make sure that we know how to motivate our kids, to um, help our kids, uh, you know, learn to motivate themselves. Because one of the great things is uh, adults actually know how to keep themselves busy while they're doing repetitive work. And a lot of things that we do when we're growing up is repetitive work. So um, kids with ADHD specifically actually lack that ability to make themselves uh, stay motivated when they're doing a task. So for example, you'll see an individual who is working on a line at a factory and they're finding ways to keep their day going and still stay motivated to you know, put that piece in that other piece for the next eight hours. Uh, Teaching our kids to make things interesting and, and funner for themselves is a skill that is really hard for kids to develop, especially kids with you know, developmental delays. By figuring out how to teach that, which is by pairing reinforcement with other things. So for example, uh, what, I what I would do with kids is uh, pairing that A that we really all parents want to see for their kids uh, with an actual reward every single time. So there could be a fixed ratio of rewards. So every time you bring me back an A, you are gonna get a chocolate. And you can only get chocolate, let's say that's their favorite, we're gonna assess it, of course, and see if that's actually their favorite thing. Uh, only time you can have chocolate is if you get me that A. Now every single time for the first year, or maybe the first couple of months, and then every single, uh, every single two, you'll get it every single three. And then we start using a variable interval, uh, sorry, a variable uh, ratio. So maybe every, uh, every two, every three, every four, it does, the kid doesn't know, so he's motivated. Every time I get four A's, I'm gonna get it. But maybe it's gonna be three this time. Okay, so what do I do? Okay, I need to still continue. And they're gonna be so motivated because they know I'm gonna finally get that thing. I just don't know when, so why would I stop? So we know from research that uh, the more you vary the reinforcement schedule, the more consistent responding you'll get because the kid doesn't know when they're not. When it's fixed, they're like, okay, if I do one, I'll get it. So I can just not do it for a couple of times and I'll get it anyways when I do that next one. So varying it is very important. So if we do that for our kids and kind of pair it, why wouldn't that be successful? Why aren't we doing that in classrooms? More mm. rewards rather than thinking that that A can automatically be reinforcing when it might not be because they don't know that it is. Uh, Pav Pavlov re rears his head again with the inconsistent rewards. Yeah, it, it, and we—it's things that we know. It's funny, right? We know all these things. There's so many, re like, there's so much research out there. Yet, it's not being done. It's crazy uh, to think that we're so advanced, yet so behind. It's like we haven't learned from everything that we have been shown through these amazing scientists. And we're still here. But it's the knowledge, it's the knowledge society gap. Like, and you, we, I learned about this in school and like, it was a really big thing about um, like cross-functional research, that sort of thing. Like you want to, like, sure, all this research is found in the ivory towers, but then how do you get it into the real life? Like, how do you get into the real world? We know so much about how to educate our children yeah. and that's not in our curriculum. Yeah. So this is <laughs> yeah. something that I'm passionate about, but yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think of what I just said, though? Is that something that you see done in schools? Have you seen that anything like that be done? Reward systems. Reward systems like that. So this is so there is token boards in classrooms. Not to that degree. Yeah, I was gonna say like I've seen token boards in classroom, but again, it's all very standardized. Like anytime I've ever seen something like that, it's like when the class does this. When it's the because class they've been does told that. one time yeah. here, do, let's do it this. Yeah. Did you guys know that there's actually like different types of contingencies in place? You can do a group contingency. You can do you can do them in so many different ways. You can do it where one like so it's a dependent contingency. Uh, like dependent group contingency, like an interdependent. There's so many different ways to do it. So one time it could be where the kid, uh, if one kid accomplishes this, the whole class will get it. It could be individual where if you get to finish your work or you do this, like you'll get the reward and whoever finishes the next will get it. Or it could be if this group, like it could be like a game, right? Whoever finishes first will get the reward. Or uh, as a whole classroom, if you all finish it, we'll get that reward. So it makes, it motivates others and helps them. There's different ways to do it, but do we all know these things? Do we know how to use that and implement it and when to and when to not? Because some kids will get bullied if it's individual, or sorry, mm -hmm. like uh, dependent yeah. uh, or interdependent. Like there's so many little variables. Who decides these things? Who knows? There's also different, um, there's also a reward for a lack of bad behavior too. Yes. So if nobody misbehaves, then there's a reward. And we had that as well. So like it would be quiet time. And then if anybody talks, no one gets a reward. Yeah. 
but then the kid could get bullied too. So well, like, that's the thing. so that's a dependent. So that yeah. could be a dependent. They could, because you can choose a kid. But like that kid, if, which is really hard, depends. Because that kid, it'll all depend on this. If the kid is motivated by other people, then that would yeah, be. Yeah, I was then, gonna say if it was like if it was a positive thing and like the kid is gonna feed off like everybody cheering him on or something like that. That's that could be really effective. Yes, and you got to know your kids. Yeah. You got to know when to assess, like assess that. This would not work. For a child with aut- autism, because it, it could, it could, Some, it could, it could, it, it does work actually. Uh, so kids with autism can be really re- like it, like. Their behaviors can be really reinforced. Like you were by saying last praise. week, yeah. Some could be like um, have really high social, um, yeah, yeah. Reinforcement, yeah. So you can, so that's the thing. So I have some kids who love praise. So he'll, uh, I have this little tiny boy, cutest thing in the world, who will finish his puzzle. He'll turn around, look at everyone and clap and kind of like, prompt you, <laughs> clap for me. I just did this puzzle by myself, right? So he's looking for that social praise. So you never know. Some kids might, you know, really benefit from it. And some kids might not. They don't want that yay, oh, you did so well, that might be kind of aversive to them, or it could be really reinforcing. So is the government doing anything to get us there now? Like, are these things already in motion? Are these things that, like, we're trying to do? If no, then where do we go? Like, what's the first step? Um, So to answer your first question, I don't really think they are. They could be. There could be some background things that we just don't know about. And research, right? I'm more on the ASD side of things, so all the things that I'm talking about might be, uh, might actually be re- being researched right now, uh, which would be great, which would be really, you know, beneficial for everyone. Uh, but where do we go? Well, we need to get, uh, we need research, like you guys were saying. We need research to prove that these things could be effective. I have a, a question. Um, so perhaps not our government, but like are you aware of any other governments in the world? Like, is there any other model by another country that is something we could follow? Um, so I know that there's different countries who will have, uh, more vocational training. So kind of specific. So when you get into high school, you can kind of decide, Hey, I really enjoy, uh, so-and-so. So we'll kind of, uh, take more classes to gear towards that, which has been really good and effective in its own. We don't have that here. Uh, we've, we used to have an extra year of high school when we kind of even cut that down, which might be beneficial for some individuals. And, you know, Was not for me. <laughs> no? No. Too much? I really would have loved that extra year. I, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. Some, some people are just not ready, right? Yeah. And you don't know what you're going to do it's either. It's very hard to know that you're not ready when you're told you're, it's time to go now. And yeah. like, especially if you, like we are, like you're throughout your whole education system right now um you know you're told you finish high school you go to college or university and there's no real especially when that fifth year was taken away there's no real like what if it's not right for me and like the kids who do a victory lap or whatever like it is a great idea but it's not necessarily presented that way like we all technically had that opportunity, but it was something that I felt was really looked down upon. I didn't want to be, yeah, I didn't want to be one of the kids who needed a gap year or. But, but that's, here's the thing. Why go and I wouldn't call it a waste, but why go into a program when you don't actually care for it? Because yeah. you're not going to do well and potentially you affect yourself know. from getting into another program, right? Fatty, you don't even know. <laughs> What? Like with, with me, like, I really wish that I had taken a gap year after, after high school, not that I needed more time in high school itself, but I needed time to just figure stuff out because like I went into, I, when I was applying for schools, I had really good grades in high school. So I applied to, um, the, uh, Waterloo, I think for like biomed, I applied to U of T for drama. I applied like everywhere for everything. I Things applied that you to- were just good at. Well, no, I applied to everything. I applied to like engineering. I applied to psych and I, I was like, okay, well this will narrow my options by just like not letting me into anything. And then I got let into everything. I got accepted for everything. And I was like, okay, cool. Now what? Like, it's just, I wish that I had taken a year off and figured out what, what I'm interested in or what I'm passionate about. But here's the problem with taking a year off. A lot of people get, you know, stuck, stuck because you get a good job and you get good money. This is also true. So that's the waste of a waste of a year. And a lot of people who are brilliant yeah. get stuck in that and kind of end up not having, uh, not being, not, uh, you know, not getting to where they can actually be 
education wise and that's yeah. not a bad thing like not everyone is is an academic not everyone needs to be that there's so many different things that we can do and be active members of society but there's some people who would have loved to that just get stuck in life because they took that extra year so what if in schools and high schools we actually help them decide and we kind of put them and we give them more this is what an engineering class will look like this is what a yeah. and we make that our final year and that's what the 13th year could have been yeah or even like so for me I was pushed into university because they're like you're a brilliant kid like when I was in mm -hmm. elementary school I was put into the accelerated program and all that stuff uh I wish that because my parents were kind of like you got into all universities so you're not going to college like college is not an option for you because college was looked Why down not? upon they're like they, they're like you can go to college after university if you still want to but like because for whatever reason yeah for whatever reason college is looked down upon and my parents are immigrants and they wanted the best life for their kids and in the immigrant mindset the best life for your kid is like if your child is smart enough to get a phd they are getting that phd but and what like, if they don't want to exactly exactly and so i think that like yes with lower education there's huge problems right like with elementary school education there are huge huge problems with the way we teach our kids but also how we prepare them for life in the real world right like why yeah. didn't anybody tell me sure great you're going to love psychology but like what are you going to do with it right yeah. like your only job opportunities kind of well not only as we're learning from you but like you're either in the ivory tower or in a clinical setting and that's it like yeah. it, so I just wish that we had we prepared our kids for life more so there's yeah the early childhood education aspect to it and then the like shooting them out into the real world like yeah I will never need to know that the mitochondria is powerhouse of the cell what did I write on my tax returns this year the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell because I have no idea <laughs> anything about taxes <laughs> yeah no and, and that's the thing so what if we taught those you know life skills and those uh, maybe even interpersonal skills and, and things like this that are very needed in our society to create more well-rounded individuals. Because realistically speaking, um, you're right. Like I, I've never used. I don't even remember the what, mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. I don't. I don't <laughs> even know what that know. is. Mitochondria. Right? <laughs> like that's how that. Like I. Marta is angry. <laughs> it's the powerhouse. <laughs> <laughs> right like that's never going to be used unless you are in that setting and using it for your you know for your career but what if you don't care yeah you might not do you really need to know that let's be let's be let's be real with each other do you really need to know that um in that deep of a in that deep of biology a, is an important field of study and it's an important like class to have taken in grade nine and 10. But as far as like, yeah, where you decide to take your education or like apply yourself in the future. Yeah. Like I, I think the most I use that particular fact of knowledge is like in trivia type games. Yeah. yeah. So, so understanding <laughs> it. So, so essentially like, let me just rephrase, like re say that to see if I understand yeah. it correctly. Um, you're saying that there is a, there's a benefit to it if we actually kind of uh, to understand our own bodies, understand yeah. ourselves. But will you use it? No, you will not. So why not teach it in a different way to make yeah. it more life, you know, life friendly? And math is another good example because math teaches you a lot of skills that you wouldn't like. You don't walk away from a math class thinking like, oh, I gained really good problem solving skills or I gained really good, um, you know, those sorts of things. But like you do get all of that from math. I walk away from math thinking I got like 10 out of 15 questions wrong. Like I'm a failure, but I would never walk away thinking at least I so what would you have want learned to how to better approach a, a problem. So what, what would you rather them have like told you? Uh, I don't know. Just like represented it to me. Like it's not so why much, you needed it. Right? Yeah. Why I needed it. Because I feel like that was something for me. I don't know if it was for you, but in math, like when a child would get frustrated, um, I had multiple occasions where people would just be like, when am I ever going to use this? Like, I don't care that I'm getting this question wrong. When am I ever going to use this? And the teacher's like, well, you have to pass this class if you want to pass high school. You know so how you will <laughs> use it though. I think it's, I think the difference, like a lot of us, when we were kids, we, I don't think we were looking at the big picture when you put it all together, that's what we're using, but the little mm -hmm. things we don't know. Mm -hmm. So what if they kind of explain to us, okay, so once you build a, B, C, and D, you're going to have the skill of this yeah and yeah. this is how you will this is how you will use it in uh in the long run yeah and i think that for me um 
Also a consideration is how our job landscape is changing and how the usefulness of humans in general is changing. So like a lot of the things like science computers are so much better than us at so many science and math things. Like it's insane. There, the Humans aren't really going to be useful in some of the, like many areas that technology can take over. So why don't we focus on like what makes you a good person? What makes you a good human? Like you need to have resilience, for example. How do we teach resilience? Like how do we teach creative problem solving? How do we teach like not being afraid to fail and just trying things until you learn how to do it right? It's hard like, though. Resilience. I, I like that. But that's so hard because everyone has different levels. Uh, and how do you how do you teach resilience? That's actually that's actually a very interesting uh, thing that you just said. How would you do that? And it's not to say that subjects that like like math could teach resilience. Yeah, it you does. Know? No, but no. like it, that's not what you take away from it right now. And then like on top but of all of that, we fail our kids. Oh, so yeah. how do you teach resilience there? Is, do you bring them back? Do you teach them to like come back? Because some kids will not get motivated by that. Not every kid will be like, I failed. I'm a failure now. Some kids will be like, okay. I failed, I can do better next time. I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna prove every single person wrong that I am the best that I can be and go in there and just, you know, make a difference in their own life. But not everyone's like that. Yeah, well, what's cool is that we just kind of brought this back full circle to like teaching teachers how to teach, right? So yeah. we we agree that we want to learn, we want our children to learn different skills and like maybe using science and math as a vehicle for teaching resilience or teaching creative problem solving isn't the worst thing. Like you can use the hard, like you can use the like hard sciences to teach soft skills kind of, right? Like how you approach certain yeah. problems, et cetera. Like that's fine. We can keep science and math in the curriculum. I like them. I find them interesting. No, no, no. Oh, and I, and I, never, right. I never meant yeah. to like take them out. <laughs> but but like, like we need to know why we're using it. Yeah, we need to know why we're using it. We need to know how to reinforce like, okay, so this kid's getting these things wrong, but they keep trying. Like the fact that they're trying should be rewarded. Like, okay, fine. You suck at math, but you're still trying and that's what's great, right? Yes, like I and, agree. Yeah, and the language that we use with our children. So there was also a really cool study that I uh, heard about how when you compliment a child on their final uh, result rather than their uh, progress, yeah, rather than their path to get there, yeah, or their like progress to get there, you get um, less resilience in the end. So if you're like, oh, you're so smart or you're so pretty, then that person who gets that kind of a compliment is less likely to try or like will try for a shorter amount of time on a difficult task than somebody who said you put in a lot of work into that or your process was good or whatever. Like, I like how creatively you approach that problem. So when people are rewarded on the results of their efforts, they will try for a shorter amount of time on a difficult task than people who are complimented on the process. And what, a, what about, I have another, like building off what you just said. Remember what we talked about last, like last time about the errorless teaching? What if we kind of have a little bit more prompting and kind of helping them instead of erring so much, we kind of give them the rewards for, because uh, you were saying kind of guiding them through and then rewards for, you know, the good work that they're doing. What if we don't allow them to make that many mistakes and we help them, but it'll take a lot of effort from the teachers to catch those before they make that mistake. Uh, but what if we jump in there and be like, no, this is actually how you do it. And you show them and you kind of guide them through it. And then you reinforce like really good job following along and doing what you just, uh, doing exactly what I just showed you. And you keep building it. The more they, you know, the less, sorry, the less they err, the more successful they're going to be because they're like, okay, I can actually do this. That's amazing. That's why tutoring is so effective. And probably especially like bringing it back to children with autism, that would be like incredibly effective because they might need that kind of guidance. Like they might need that kind of, I've, you're following something that yeah. has been laid out. Now I can, I can give you success, but I can also reinforce that like the work you put into it was worth what all the did. mini yeah. micro efforts that you had to put in. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, another thing that you mentioned earlier that we can bring back, Marta, is uh, the... Uh, you know how you became the person that go around and help other kids? One of the most effective ways to, uh, you know, solidify, like, to solidify the, the skills and, and reinforce. reinforce the skills and be really, you know, much better at that would be teaching others. So why not help the make the kids become tutors to the other kids? So those kids get better at what they're doing. And then when they learn that skill, the kid that was tutored become a tutor for another kid. So why not make the grade four tutors for grade threes and grade threes tutors for grade ones and you, uh, sorry, grade twos and like, and so on. And they explain things in kids speak too. So it's like, yeah. okay, well, I know you're not understanding this because of how the teacher said it, but here's how I approached it. Or yeah. like, here's this like completely 
weird example that only a kid's brain could come up with, but like only a kid's brain would understand. And it's just like, yeah, kids are amazing. I think that's the moral of the story. And like, we just need to do more to help them flourish. So, yeah. Yeah. I would say so. So to wrap this up, then we've touched upon a lot of topics. We touched upon what Canada does already for children with autism specifically, and what Canada is doing in our school system, which is not, a whole lot that we can see right now, or at least Ontario specifically, uh, we talked. We touched upon the fact that like both the school system and our educators need to like change, or at least there needs to be extra supports put in. But then the things that they're educating in, like the curriculum, needs to. Well, maybe not like needs to change because I'm no expert, but like we we definitely need to rethink this or like approach it a little bit differently. Is or that more, or more training for for teachers or or more more money support. more supports? Yeah. yeah. Um, There's a lot of good though. Let's not let's not yeah. forget that. Let's not let's. I was just, just gonna say, negative. what's something? Let, let's try and end off on a positive note. What's like some supports that you, whether it's in the school system or not, like what are some supports uh, specifically for children with autism that you think are really good um, that help them build those sorts of um, social skills or whatever it is that that they're looking to achieve. Well, the Ontario Autism Program is fantastic. Yes, there's there's some issues. There's some things that we need to fix, but so does everything. So that's a really good start. The, I really like the fact that there are EAs, so like educator uh, assistants. That's a really good thing. We just need to train them in the skills that they need and offering that to them and giving them the skills required to be the most effective that they can be. But having them there was really was a really good start. Uh, we just need to build on that and kind of progress towards a little bit more than what we already have to offer. But the foundation is there. Mm-hmm. Now let's use them. What if we train them to do what we were talking about before to make them, uh, you know, do the assessments? Because we can teach that. We can train that. And we can make that part of their skills because we have them available and there's enough of them in a classroom. Say there's 14 in a school. Great. Go in, go to do the assessment for the class. This week you're doing that class. Next week you're doing that. You're you're with this kid that day. Like there's so much that we can use and utilize them and train them to get to that point to be actual educator assistants. Yeah, and I think that's something that we kind of didn't do justice to uh, in our conversation is that there are a lot of excellent educators and there are a lot of excellent people in our school systems who already identify these types of things. And like that teacher that allowed me to go around and tutor mm-hmm. people, yeah. there she's like, Marta does not shut up. So let's like use this in a meaningful way. And she's really motivated by being like the best at something. So why don't we like do that? So there's a lot of teachers out there and thank you for your services to our kids oh, yeah. that that are already amazing and there's a lot of things in our school system that do already work because we are producing you know people like around this table we have like we're creative problem solving like this education system and whatever so i'd like our listeners to also like acknowledge that as well so even though we spent kind of like almost a full hour talking about everything that could be done better there's a lot yeah, that's being done well. well. I want to give a shout out then, now that we're doing that. In grade four, I had an amazing teacher who motivated me, and that was my best elementary year, maybe even high, like even compared to high school, ever. And he motivated me. So you peaked kind of early then. Is yeah, what that, was, that, was, that was my best year ever, uh, grade four. Remember that year? Uh, but no, Monsieur Denis, I remember that. I remember him to this day because I actually did very well in that year and it's because he motivated me. And he kept me interested in wanting to succeed, which is something that... Uh, that I really appreciate. And I remember to this day after everything and all the other teachers that I've seen. So that's something that, uh, and I'm sure everyone remembers, you know, a couple of teachers who really pushed them and motivated them and got them there. So there are some really amazing uh, teachers and all teachers are amazing uh, in their own way. And it works for some kids and doesn't work for others. Monsieur Denis was really effective for me specifically. I don't know about other kids in that classroom, but that's when I flourished, when I was motivated. Um, Megan, is there anything else that we want to add before wrapping up for today? Um, I have one last thing I want to add, just touching on supports that exist outside of the classroom, um, uh, specifically for kids with autism. Um, There is a camp that I have become affiliated, well, affiliated with, connected to, I guess is a better way to say it. It's called Camp Winston. Um, It's in the Muskoka area, and it is specifically for neurodiverse children. So autism, Asperger's, OCD, Tourette's. It's a really amazing opportunity for children who might 
never have the opportunity to go to a summer camp like every other kid in their class and, you know, get to come back to school in the fall and say, yeah, I had a great time at camp. Like these would be kids who would never be able to um, flourish, I guess is a good word in that kind of an environment. And it creates an environment where, where they can. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to mention that and give them a quick shout out because I think that's, uh, as we've talked about, there are a lot of supports that may be missing uh, in other more conventional ways. And so, yeah, it's great to give some props to uh, an organization who tries to fill that gap. Yeah. And it's, I think that uh, everybody should know that there are organizations like this in your area. There are organizations that like are great for filling the gap and you just have to be conscious and like seek them out because a lot of these things, like they're not advertised or we won't hear about it until we go looking. Um, and on that note, I just want to, Thank you, Fatty, for you. talking no to us. Today My was a pleasure. bit, yeah. <laughs> Today was a bit more of like an unstructured conversation, but I like that. I think we got a lot of really good ideas that wouldn't have come out either otherwise. Um, and that's that's everything for today. Uh, thank you guys again for listening to Who Knew We Didn't. We you can reach us anywhere on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. hashtag WKWD. We're Who Knew We Didn't everywhere. Who Knew We Didn't at Gmail uh, And also we will link. Fetty's uh, organization in the show notes as well. Uh, and that's that's everything for today. Bye guys. Bye.